NCRP Productions presents the Fireside Chat Series. Hey, welcome to another Fireside Chat. This is Barry. Hey, it's Pedro. And we're going to get talking right away with a few different things. Pedro, it's been a little while since we've done the last one. It has been. And... I was wondering, we went and saw the movie Dune. Actually, yes. quite a few of us did. Yeah. What did you think of this one? I super enjoyed it, especially after watching the first one for the, the, first the David time. Lynch one yeah. from '84. Uh huh. First time I watched it was the week we we watched it a week beforehand, right before going. Yeah, yeah. That's the way to do it so that you can kind of contrast. Yeah, super cool. There was some things that I liked about the old one that might have been a little bit more like funny on my part. Maybe not in the movie. It's supposed to be funny. But overall, I think the new one did a great job with the story. I did um, too. And I'm really excited about the next one. Yeah, the fact that they, after the weekend, they were given the green light to do part two and, mm-hmm. and maybe more. So that's exciting. Dave and I were listening to and watching the Sci-Fi Channel one. And let me tell you, it's a third different story. There are, of course, similar scenes and similar things in that one. But I've heard over and over again how rough the Sci-Fi Channel one is. And I got to tell you, so far, we're both enjoying the story. Now, both of us read Dune a long time ago. Dave is currently rereading Dune in, and you're hearing it here first, in the possibility of running a Dune RPG for us. Woo. But... Both of us felt like they did a nice job with the Sci-Fi Channel one, but the costuming detracts so horribly from it. The royals have costumes that are pretty decent, and you can identify that they're royal. But, oh my God, everybody else has these weird... And when I say felt, I literally mean like the felt that you would line a pool table with. They have like felt stuff for clothing and it's just so detracting. You can't follow the story. The effects budget went too high, Barry. Oof. They had to use felt. It was rough. But but again, enjoying that too. And what's interesting is talking to people who have more recently read the books. For me, it's been <clears throat> 40 plus years. In rereading them or people talking who've read them recently, there's still a fourth story, which is the original book. So kind of fun seeing it come to the screen mm-hmm. and in the big budget way it did. Yeah. Oh, the graphics. <laughs> I also, <laughs> so I learned today or yesterday, it was yesterday, somebody told me about the new Mutants movie. Did you see that? You know, that's actually one that I haven't seen yet. Have you? I, I haven't seen it yet, but now I think I want to. So I had seen it initially Fox when it was Fox before Marvel and Disney bought it back. Fox had done a new Mutants movie with no description of anything. Somebody... I'm going to say Disney. I don't know for sure. Somebody recut it instead of being a superhero movie into a horror film. And Mm. apparently, I'm now learning that it worked really well. I'm curious to see it. Negatives, thing I'll warn you about. If you are not a New Mutants fan, or at least aware of most of the characters in the movie, you're not going to understand a lot of scenes. There are things that happen... Where if you don't know New Mutants, you're going to be scratching your head going, why did that happen? Now, if you know New Mutants, you're going to be like, oh, that's why Ileana has a sword. But you, the person who's ever read or watched it, you're going to question it. But I've been told it's still worth seeing. Hmm. All right. Well, I'll add to my list. My ever-expanding list. Yes, of things we've got to watch. Well, 
you know what? We should probably start talking about what we were brought here for, mm. which is a couple of things. So sad news for everyone. Chances are you've probably already heard the episode and know this has happened, mm. but we had the final episode of season one of Shadowrun for us, mm -hmm. Sunday in the Shadows. And I won't spoil it, but the end was very sad for all of us in the game. Mm -hmm. It was a doozy. It really, really was. We wanted to let you know that you're not going to have to wait an extreme amount of time. We will be bringing back Shadowrun, Sunday in the Shadows, Season 2. Dave has agreed to start running mm -hmm. it again for us. It'll be a little while, and in the interim... We've got coming for you. We got something new. Oh coming yeah, on Tuesdays. We've got Cthulhu Tuesdays, uh -huh. or we're gonna call it Tuesdays as long as we can pronounce it right. Uh huh. Tuesdays feels all right. I'm very excited for this one. <laughs> so <laughs> the upside with this is we had Steve come and do Cthulhu for us, mm -hmm. and oh my God, lot of fun right from the get go. He's got a great feel for Cthulhu. I really enjoyed it. I super enjoyed it. And then for listeners who are wondering, Steve, if you listen to our uh, Star Wars game, Steve was in that one. Steve was in the Star Wars game. Yes. Uh, yeah. Oh, I'm super excited with this. The fun in the challenge of each of us running two characters, which right. listeners, that that's what ended up happening. It's one just, of the first things you're yep. going to see is each of us is running two, I hope you'll see it, very distinctly mm -hmm. different characters. And, yeah, tooting our own homes. I feel like we did a pretty good job running two completely distinctly different characters mm -hmm. each night. Yep, yep, definitely plenty of mix-ups during it. But <laughs> but yeah, no, it was it was super fun. Yeah, Steve had us made make multiple characters because if anybody who knows Cthulhu knows anything, characters tend to usually die pass quickly. quickly. Absolutely. Um, and so yeah, we we set those up. We ended up using a lot of them together a lot more than probably our brains could have used the time <laughs> that's true that's true so one of the warnings we will let you know mm -hmm. is with Tuesdays, it is a short run it is going to be an 11 episode run at present mm -hmm. now that could change but we've got a couple of personal issues that came up time was not available and we had to stop at that point so it'll feel to you when you get to the end it's going to feel kind of clipped or cut short mm -hmm. but i assure you we are trying to get back to the table to get more episodes and at least finish the i'm going to say the first season arc story yeah. I'm not sure what to call it yeah yeah i mean where we ended i think luckily had a little bit of a closure feeling somewhat yeah uh, as far as you know unexpected endings go this is it, true. i think it you know wrapped up a little bit of the story but uh but yeah no still super fun uh i think everyone will get a kick out of it i hope so i hope so and then the bigger news for me is I am going to be running in place of Sunday in the Shadows on Sundays. I'm going to be running an alien campaign. That's right, aliens. Yep, and we've had we've had Dave run two of the uh, produced adventures mm -hmm. for us. He did Chariot of the Gods, and he followed that up with Destroyer of Worlds. Mm -hmm. Each of those was what they call cinematic, so it's supposed to be a uh, short-term, fairly quick adventure couple nights in, in our case couple episodes mm -hmm. this is going to be campaign so the idea with this is if things work the characters will last longer than a couple of sessions the majority of them will survive to move on to something else and so far we we haven't locked down any surprise guests but we've talked about in the format for doing the alien campaign that we may potentially have 
other players drop in for a short period of time, uh, take over a character that is either already existing in the game as an NPC or bring in their own, and they may be in for a couple episodes, they may be a drop-in character every you know, 10 episodes, who knows? Don't know where the end is in sight is on that one, but I'm very excited about that. Throw some new voices in there. That'll that'll be a big one for mm-hmm. us. We have a couple other surprises that are in the works. I don't know that I want to cover them today because what I think I do want to cover is what is in. I'm going to use the words imminent again. Imminent near future. We have Pedro running. Woo! Fallout. Fallout. Yeah, the new Modifius game. We're yes. going to have him run for us. So, this is Modifius' newest game. Uh, I think the initial release was about five weeks before we're recording this, four weeks ago? Something like that. It's pretty recent. So, I'll I'll let you guys know that we had Pedro set up to run the Avatar game for Mm -hmm. us. We were going to do kind of a... Quick start rules. Quick start rules, right. I'm going to tell you, Pedro had it all set up. And he borrowed the Fallout book that I had gotten. And I think I don't even think it was that night. It was sometime later that afternoon. You said, hey, I've scrapped Avatar. Sometime later, we're doing Fallout. Uh-huh. And then, if you have been watching our YouTube channel, I believe it's it's, it's been done on the others as well? or just... Yeah, I put it, it's been put onto Twitter and Instagram All as right, well. All right, good, yeah. good. So if you've watched, Facebook. you've gotten to see Pedro's introduction to Fallout. Just kind of a teaser mm-hmm. trailer, but hopefully you're as excited as we are. Yeah, just get the mentality set, get it going. So I'm going to give a shout-out myself because running the store, running North Coast role-playing, we got Fallout in, and boy, Modifius hit it out of the park with this one. It sold so well. I have reordered it multiple times, which is not normal for a game that young. Book looks great. The Sadly, Modifius underprinted the dice, mm-hmm. and we are backordered on those dice. Something fierce. And they are beautiful They dice. really are. They're the coolest. They're I think they're perfect. the coolest dice they've produced uh-huh. for any of the Modifius or the Free League games. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. And I, I don't think I've seen... You, you know, sometimes when you get settings like, like D&D, you know, general fantasy, but then you get those, I think we've talked about before, those very specific, like... Narrow, narrow yes. Narrow view, you know, view RPGs. Modifius just has a way of making it work really closely to source material, and I think this is one of the better ones I've seen. Right. Mechanics-wise, gameplay, you know, I've, I've scoured that book, and I mean, anybody who's a fan of Fallout and role-playing games, highly recommend get this game, because you look through it, not only do you have a bunch of the lore, but they have everything every all these little tiny details for the, those that love fallout all the way down to and it's such a small obvious thing but like nuka cola in its description specifically says you drink this add one cap to your inventory you know it's something from the game it's something that would be obvious you'd have a bottle cap but they add it in just to you know you make sure you know and yeah it, all of it everything's in there uh, that's wonderful so somebody who is not necessarily a role player or is not necessarily looking to run the Fallout game, this book is a good enough source material that you should have it in your collection? Yes, I, I think so, yeah. So Fallout fans need to go out and look for this game, pick it up. Fallout fans, great. The only thing that I will say is that if you are not a Fallout fan, I don't know why you would be buying it necessarily, but if you just think it's cool, it has a setting for, and those who play Fallout will know it's for the fourth game, the Commonwealth uh, in Boston, 
but it, it gives very little detail on the world itself as a whole. The background. Okay. I'm wondering if that's. I'm guessing that's probably in the Game Master's kit that's still to come out. Oh, there's. All right. Um, so there's a Game Master's yes. kit you think is coming? There, well, I've I've seen it on their website because they okay. and they reference in the book multiple times. All right. Um. So there is a Game Master's extra you know, book coming at some point, or they better because they referenced it. I gotcha. Well. I, sadly, am one of those people that is not for lack of, of desire. I am a post-apocalypse guy. I have been since I really, since I started role-playing. The, the first game I ran was Gamma World, a post-apocalypse setting. And it wasn't very long after I played D&D that I jumped into that. I love post-apocalypse. I have never played one of the Fallout games. I've, of course, seen them. I have seen a friend of mine play many, 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 many hours of Wasteland, the game that it was originally based on, and at the time, Commodore 64, at the time that Wasteland came out, it was so innovative. Nothing looked like it. The thing that still sticks in my head is at that time when we were still doing games like, <laughs> here it comes, like Zork, which was strictly text-based, or Ultima, this game allowed you to go three-dimensionally around. You could climb on buildings, set a charge on the roof, blow up the roof, set your rope, and climb into a building. Something that's just unheard of. So Wasteland was a great start, and then this Fallout thing comes out, and just time it fell, I was, I was ending college, starting to get into, I'm gonna call it the real word, because I had to work, and didn't have the time to play, so I've missed it. So I'm gonna be playing in the game, and Pedro, can you give me and anyone out there who's listening kind of a primer on the world of Fallout within the confines of the game, the role-playing game we're going to be doing? Yes. So I, I came prepared. Uh, I love I love Fallout. I knew a lot of stuff already. So I you probably are a fan. Yes. Big, super big fan? fan? Uh, I would say pretty big fan. Pretty big fan. Maybe uh, not I, a super yeah. fan, but really I, I close. Don't, I, well, I don't know. Maybe I'm approaching super fan because I now have a few more props than I did before thanks to this game. Okay. And I just spent a decent amount of time researching a primer to explain to everybody what's going on in Facebook. Well, good. All right. I am, in, I am in ready Fallout. to hear the primer of Fallout. Yes. Okay, cool. So Fallout, like Barry said, is a post-apocalyptic world. Now, uh, the way I kind of structured the primer is I'm going to kind of give you a little glimpse into what happened before what's called the Great War, where the bombs actually fell, kind of give you what the world, how it diverged from our timeline, because it is an alternate timeline of our world. Uh, give you a little bit of an in-depth look at that, then kind of go to leading up, go to the war, and then kind of, uh, I have a explanation of the games, kind of what happened to them, because they each have big events that have shaped the wasteland, the U.S. as a whole. Okay, so you're going to go through, not only within this primer, we're going to learn about the Fallout world, but we're going to kind of learn how each of the Fallouts, Fallout 1, 2, 3, I think there's a New Vegas, and a, New Vegas. And a, a 76. You're going to kind of give yep. us an idea of how these fit? Yes, yeah. Oh, that's I'll wonderful. Give you, give All you right. a little bit of a little, little idea. Okay, so... Fallout, the world of Fallout, it pretty much strictly stays within America. It kind of talks about the outside world, and a big part is the um, wars going on, which caused the Great War. Uh, now, after World War II, the bombs fell, and um, that's kind of where the, our timeline diverged with the Fallout timeline. Oh, they didn't fall in Fallout? Huh? They didn't fall in Fallout? The bombs no, 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 the fall? bombs did fall. So, oh, okay. Bombs fall. 
diverged and then after. after that. Okay. Yes. So, rather than going into the Cold War with the um, USSR as the main communist, you know, opponent to America, uh, the USSR was you know, around, and they started to gain. Um, some power, but then they kind of stagnated, and they actually didn't dissolve. The USSR stayed throughout the whole timeline, but they just kind of dissolved back and weren't a powerhouse like they were in our timeline. So no Sputnik for the for the Russians, or do we know? I don't know if they did Sputnik. I actually think. Oh, I think you know what? This is my last memory. I think they actually mentioned something about that in Fallout Three. I think. Okay. It might maybe. I can't remember, but. If it's not from Russia, then China did it, whatever their version of Sputnik is. Oh. Because China, the People's Republic of China, is the one that rose instead as the geopolitical superpower. And so, you know, same kind of hyper, you know, Cold War, you got the mass propaganda. This era in Fallout, they went rampant also with that consumerism and capitalism that you saw and all like if you, anybody looks at the old ads or you know like you know kitchen of the future you know you know house of the future that you know old idea of the white picket fence green yard that that just kind of went rampant because the world started to get really crappy and the corporations wanted to not only make money but also it's a good way to to feed the people something to do while in the background these wars start. the Cold War was going on, and then eventually what led up uh, after things started to get bad was the resource wars. Leading up, uh, you know, as the Cold War goes on, once the 21st century hits, the resources issues really started to get bad, specifically uh, petroleum and uranium, because another thing that diverged is rather than kind of going towards technology and, you know, a micro fashion, like making things smaller, and more efficient that way, they kind of just kept things big and focused on nuclear power specifically. Like, oh, wow, for wartime as well as consumer products. I mean, cars shifted because of you know dwindling petroleum resources into nuclear power. So you have all these nuclear reactors driving around. You end up getting robots that are nuclear powered, which actually funnel into a lot of the unrest with the people because with these more advanced robots, they started to take jobs from people in America. And the other thing is, is that the relationship between government and corporations started to strengthen immensely to the point where people, they started to regress on the ideas of like liberty and justice for all, like the government and everything. Those kind of ideas were being pushed back with the fear of communism about. Oh dear, so it, it yeah. almost sounds like in some ways we're mirroring modern day yeah, may, corporations yeah, maybe a, governments yep. working together. Oh yep, boy. Yep, okay. and so you have, and I mean, so you you see it internment camps again. Oh wait, sorry, that, that's coming up in a, in a moment. Oh God. Uh, sorry, that, that's a little preview. <laughs> so yeah, the government actually also started to move towards a more totalitarian government, uh, and you know, gripping on the public and actually people started to be more okay with just the amount of fear and propaganda with their liberties and freedoms kind of being taken away in that you know way for more security let's say freedom for security we have that discussion quite often at the table so yep yep okay uh, because what ends up happening is that the resource wars happen so in starting in the 20th century uh, i believe it was around 2050 
Petroleum was so low in the world and uranium, that, but for petroleum, the last place for efficient or cheap petroleum was in Anchorage, Alaska. Okay. This led to such things as uh, not only America needing to get there more efficiently for just production of their own, uh, but People's Republic of China realized this, and at a certain point, war broke out, and they actually invaded, which led to America actually annexing all of Canada because it'd just be easier for them to be absorbed in. And then, yeah, the war really went full force from there. And also, there was you know, petroleum shortage in the European Commonwealth, and wars started in the Middle East over there as well, uh, independent of China. But just the world started kind of going to shit. <laughs> um, like, all the fears of the Cold War started coming to head. I mean, the, the doomsday clock shifted super close to midnight at this point. And so that's when the U.S. government, you know, coming up to this big time of, uh, you know, uncertainty, uh, they contracted what they called Project Safe House. And this is where Fallout fans will know of the vaults. Okay, I've uh, heard of the vaults. Yes. So Project Safe House, for face value, was a government project that was designed to create vaults that would contain on average about 200 people each and the idea is is a place for people to be signed up for and survive through a demonuclear war if, if it happens so they got the funding uh, which uh, for those that know the background story is more nefarious than it sounds okay. but project safe house went forward uh, 122 vaults were created uh, the other thing is is that they were telling the public that these things were supposed to sus be sustainable self-sustainable for 900 years in the worst wow. case as well as be equipped with a GEC a Garden of Eden creation kit which was a suitcase sized fusion reactor that allowed you to have a power source it contained like books for survival and it even contained like fabricators so you can make certain things to help survive uh, and some of them were even able to terraform the land take away radiation all kinds of stuff but again you're walking around with a suitcase size fusion reactor so miniaturization finally did hit the world yes was some. it was it led by the japanese like it was in our own no actually kind of at this point it really did kind of shove things like everybody was in their own kind of spot in the world america kind of shut down you okay. know, the, the resource wars going on because they stopped that was another reason why china attacked them is because they stopped selling their oil they were just like we're not selling oil to anybody that's how bad it got Boy. uh and so now with the vaults Though that is what the public knew, what actually happened is a group called the Enclave, which is comprised of top government officials, captains of industry, think the Illuminati. And, That's exactly yep. what I was thinking, or a cabal. Yep. yep. And of big air quotes, true Americans that saw what was happening, and so they had not only their own personal vaults and pl secure places made, such as the oil rig for the Enclave, which was one of their main bases, but they had all of these vaults created, each with an experiment in mind. And these experiments were going to gather information, which would be funneled back, theoretically, to the Enclave in the post-APOC world, so that they can use that research to better build their society. 
which their society really didn't include anybody other than those in Enclave bases. If you were not part of the Enclave, you were not an American effectively to them. So you're telling me then that the Enclave itself is, what, a separate vault? Yeah, so they actually have several outposts, and we saw some of them in the games themselves. It's never declared how many outposts, but, and I'll go over this um, for the first game, or sorry, the second game, within the second game, a major outpost was destroyed. A major enclave. Enclave outpost. So the enclave produces 112 vaults. 122. 122 yeah. vaults with 200 people per vault in it. Some more, some less. What did the American public do? Because at this point, even if we're digressing a bit, American public has to be around 250 mm -hmm. million people. Sounds to me like we're something like 995,000, mm -hmm. you know, 800 and what would the, that be 68, 78 short? Yep. So once the bombs started to drop, which actually, let me see here. Effectively, you know, the people who got signed up, they were the lucky ones. The ones that didn't, I mean, coming up towards the end of the war, there was a massive riots for both deunionization, so union strikes, labor strikes because of the robots, you know, taking taking jobs, um, food shortages, resource shortages. So by the war, by wartime, America was in such a bad state that actually in March of 77, to prep for thermonuclear war, the president and his cabinet went into hiding because not only was that right after a victory at Anchorage where they actually fought back the Chinese, but the riots began on that time because the media basically came out and was like, okay, cool, this, this battle was won, this 10 year long battle was won, the resource wars are still going on. We are billions in debt, and for what? So the president was like, oh shit, went to a secret location, also because the president was part of the Enclave, and they kind of had a pre-warning on when the bombs fell, and if you look at the lore, they might actually have been partially ones to instigate it near the end. Okay. Uh, because a lot of the vaults finished construction surprisingly days before the actual bombs fell. Okay. Uh, which, speaking of the bombs, so the first launch of the Great War, which is just when the bombs fell, was at 9.13 a.m. EST on October 23rd, 2077. Four minutes later, the first bomb hit America. After two hours of nuclear exchange, the war ended, and all clocks on the eastern... Uh, seaboard? Coast seaboard, yeah. okay. Nine forty-seven. So they okay, so bombed. Pretty short war. The yeah, the uh, the war lasted. Let's see, yeah, nuclear exchange of two hours. At that point, a large portion of those that remained were just wiped out by the bombs, um, or now had to survive in this post-apocalyptic wasteland. And we see a number of things that come from the bombs dropping that are seen in the games and kind of unfold and we learn. Uh, one of which uh, you'll see constantly are ghouls. So when the bombs fell, the combination of specific genetics and the nuclear energy itself actually caused some people to ghoulify. Uh, essentially, they look like they've been hit by massive third degree burns. Some have skin falling off still. 
but it changed them to the point where they actually can now absorb radiation uh, and survive an extended period as the ghouls are still alive today that were before the war. They, they're still alive. And the ghouls, do these represent what we normally see as mutants or, or yes. wasters or they those would, kind of things? They would, call them, they would call them ghouls, but they are definitely a mutant. And there are plenty of more mutants in the world, which um, I'll kind of explain where they came from when I go over the games here in a moment. But yeah, so the bombs fell and the world civilization ended. And we don't really know much about the outside world post-bombs, um, but through the games and lore, we do know a bit about America. So, let's go ahead and get into some of the games. So I kind of just went from one down, uh, and I gave a little, little timeline. So the first game, Fallout 1, was based in the year 2161, which okay. is 81 years post-Great War. Uh, 2161. So yes. All right. Yep. Gotcha, I'm with you still. Yeah, so this game, uh, the main, uh, and this is actually something fun for each of the games, each of the main characters has some, like, cryptic name to them. So the very first one, because you play a Vault Dweller, you are known as the Vault Dweller. Uh, and your objective is your Vault's water chip has malfunctioned. This is an unplanned malfunction. Uh, and they send you out, you were chosen, to go out and try and find another one. They tell you there is another vault that you can go check, but that you, we have, I think it's like 500 days left of water. So you basically go out, find this chip, and bring it back to us. Does the game have a timer? If you don't finish yes. it in 500 days, it you actually lose? It actually does, and there's things that you can extend. So apparently if you find these certain the certain settlement, you can send like water trucks back to them to extend the time. But yeah, if you don't do it in a certain amount of time, your vault can die. And you said something in there that I caught. I'm sure everyone else did, too. You said this was an unplanned. Yes. So, so explain this to us, if you can. What do you mean, unplanned failure? Well, it's hard to say. So this one, I, if I remember right, I believe this one actually was an unplanned. Like, they, they just, it, the chip went out unexpectedly. Okay. I think this one was actually unplanned because if i remember right vault 13 which is the vault you're from was actually designated by the enclave to be closed and sealed in case they need citizens for various things okay so it was supposed to remain sealed uh now cutting a whole lot of the content just kind of giving the the basic big things in your goings about as you find the water chip uh, you find out about a movement called the Unity Movement by a mutant known as the Master. Uh, now, this first game, you get a glimpse of where the a lot of the super mutants that we see come from. Now, super mutants are these forced evolved humans, forced evolved by the FEV, the forced evolutionary virus, um, that essentially was a program designed by the U.S. to create super soldiers. And it worked in lab rats. It actually showed an increase in strength and a few other places. But when it came to humans, their the f initial results showed a very little decline in mental state. However, as anybody who's played the game seen, that varies widely depending on the subject. Some got drastically lowered intelligence, and some just became hyper aggressive, leading to a whole lot of problems. And super mutants. Now, you just told me about the ghouls. 
are you said the ghouls are kind of the mutants so are super mutants super ghouls no there's a whole lot of different kind of mutants now this here the the, the fev the force evolutionary virus um where the master was now the master is this forced evolved person that got mashed together with a whole bunch of other humans as well as uh, computer database. It, just, just, just go with it. Conglomeration. Uh, yeah, and formed this creature who decided that the best course of action for the future would be to force evolve every human so that they can better survive and lead to a peaceful society. So he set out his super mutants to go out into the wastes and bring back people to air quotes dip which is dip into the vat, which is how they would do it. There's literally vats of this virus, they dip you in and then you evolve. Now, the force evolution virus, where you find it, it was originally, and actually I think it might still be at the Mariposa military base in California. And essentially the US, start, they, once they found out that this does work on animals, they started using um, prisoners of war to um, develop it. This is actually where the Brotherhood of Steel, which is another faction within the world, comes in because they, the original group that became the Brotherhood, was stationed there, found out about this secret testing, went into a mutiny, and basically killed the scientists. And after the bombs dropped, which they found out about this right basically when the bombs dropped, they left this place, taking the supplies they could, leaving the doors wide open. Now, you get a lot of mutants in the world because the doorways to the FEV were open, and so you get like a rat that goes in, sniffs around, drinks a green puddle, and leaves and becomes mutated. Okay. So you actually get a lot of different mutants this way. So all the mutants in Fallout 1 <laughs> are from this Mariposa base? A lot of them are, but not all, because the FEV was in multiple places. This was one, Just one location. Place. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so that is essentially one um, after you succeed and kill the master, which is the big thing. You stop a giant wave of super mutants from taking over. Uh, and the downside is you go back to your vault and say, hey, I'm here. Everything's fine. I stopped these super mutants who are going to attack you. And they say, that's really great, but you've been out in the waste too long. You're irradiated, and if you come in, more people might want to leave. So you can't come back in. You need to go. Did you get the water chip, too? Yes, you got the water chip. You did everything for these guys, and they're like, no, you got to go. And so you leave and actually go north into Oregon and start a tribal village called Arroyo. And then actually you write your memoirs, and then the vault dweller disappears. Nobody knows actually what happened to them. Did, did he give the water chip to the vault, or did he? Oh, yeah, yeah, he gave. Well, oh, so he didn't in rage the, break in, it? Yeah, in the canon, he would have. Yeah, okay. So, you know, there's there's multiple ways you can play each of these games, from okay. being a big old asshole all the way to the, a saint. Okay. So that brings us to the second game, uh, which is almost 80 years, let's see, 81 years after the first Fallout, in the year 2241 which is 164 years after the Great War. You play in this one a character named the Chosen One. You are actually a descendant of the original Vault Dweller. So the town elder comes to you and says that, you know, we're having a severe drought. We don't know how to fix it, but there's one thing that can, and that is a Gek, the Garden of Eden creation kit. And they kind of speak of it as this legendary thing because, you know, 80-something years, 81 years of being a tribal community, you know, talk about some things you know, being more 
legend. So they're like, you know, this this thing is supposed to be able to help. It's this mystical object effectively. Can you please go find it? You are our chosen one. You'll be able to do this. And do you start in this Arroyo, Oregon? Yes, you do. So you start where, where the last one effectively <laughs> ended in its canon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, and then you travel down, up and down um, kind of the east coast. East Coast. Uh, sorry, the West Coast. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Mix those up. Um, so, like, wow, you went across it. You did, you did the reverse yep. postman thing. And uh, yeah, so you travel up and down the coast and you learn of different factions that are kind of there. And two of the main factions are one, the NCR, it's the New California Republic. Now, they actually are an offshoot of a settlement called Shady Sands, which you actually help as the vault dweller in the first game. So now they have risen up to try and bring stability and um, infrastructure back to the world, starting with expanding from California and kind of gradually spreading over several states. The other one is the Enclave. You actually see some of them cruising around, and they have very specific power armor. You end up learning their Enclave. At first, you just see these people in power armor you've never seen. Oh, for anybody who doesn't know, power armor is big suits of mechanized armor. Think kind of like uh, Starship like, Troopers. Starship Troopers, Iron Man, War right. Machine. Okay. You know, just big fusion-powered suits. So you, you see them. Uh, you end up finding the Gek, and after searching several vaults and kind of traveling around the wasteland, uh, and you return to Arroyo, and you learn after finding your village destroyed, the Enclave actually came to your village, killed some people, captured the rest, and have taken them to a secret oil rig off the coast of San Francisco in California, which is one of their main bases. You decide, well, I gotta help my people, so you sneak on to the rig, and upon sneaking on the rig, you learn that the current in air quotes, current president of the United States, Dick Richardson, plans to release a modified FEV into the jet stream so that it can kill off all mutated people that aren't inoculated. So just, you know, basic wipe the planes so that, you know, the true American, the pure Americans can come in. Well, you didn't like that, so you said, okay, I'm going to go ahead and delete your data as best I can and set your reactor to meltdown. And they, he blows up the oil rig, killing the head, one of the main current headquarters. President of the United States. Yeah, the current president <laughs> of the United States. And then you go back to Arroyo with your people that you rescued, and the place kind of prospers because you have the Gek, and you use that to build a better society up there. And then that <clears throat> finishes number two. Uh, and so that's kind of a, a big picture thing that happens uh, especially since our game we're going to be playing on the west coast okay. um, the enclave you know had a presence there a lot bigger at one point but now and really the enclave isn't super known across the wasteland in three there's a little bit more of them being known i'll go over that but really it's a secretive organization okay all right as any good cabal or mm-hmm. the illuminati is so, now we have Fallout 3. Uh, Fallout 3 is in the year 2272, or 200 years post-Great War. You play the lone wanderer 
who was uh, an infant brought to Vault 101 by your father, James, after the death of your mother, Catherine. Now, Vault 101, you end up learning, was another vault that was supposed to remain closed and under the leadership of an overseer that was supposed to be kind of dictatorial. But at one point, as you grew older, and number three is really fun because you get to see life in a vault, like in a vault that's not supposed to be open. So what kind of life is like? Well, one day you wake up to sirens because your father has left the vault and the paranoid overseer has sent security to come and wrangle you up. Well, you escape and head into the wasteland to try and find your father and figure out what, what the hell's happening. Through your travels, uh, you learn of a couple things. One, you find that there are these robots spreading across, these little eye robots that just kind of are these little floating orbs, spreading around a message from the current president now, John Henry Eaton, saying, you know, we're going to bring back, the Enclave is going to bring back America. You know, bring back the true America, you know, make things, you know, nice and hunky-dory again. You just gotta follow us. And then also in your travels, you learn that the big picture of why your father left is because your parents were part of a project they created called Project Purity, which is a plan to purify mass amounts of water in the area. Give clean water for the wasteland. Upon finding your father, you uh, go with him, he tells you his plan, goes with him to restart Project Purity with the help of a Gek. You find a Gek to go and you know restart this. But the project is invaded once you get there by the Enclave. Uh, and the Enclave uh, basically captures you uh, in the control room, captures your father in the control room to try and get him to start it. But instead of starting it, he floods the control room with radiation, killing himself and almost killing the head of the Enclave. The military lead, not the president. You escape for a little bit before the Enclave actually end up swooping in, picking you up, taking them, taking you back to their headquarters, where you meet John Henry Eden, the president, who is actually a highly advanced AI unit who has absorbed the ideals of past presidents and has modeled himself after several of them, including President Dick Richardson. He wants to, John Henry Eden wants to reinvigorate that plan of the FEV, but he wants to use Project Purity to spread the modified FEV into the water. Well, you don't like that, uh, and so in the, you know, the good ending, you fight back with the help of the Brotherhood, and you take back Project Liberty, and you are able to stop the president from releasing the FEV, and in the good ending, you actually bring pure drinking water to the wasteland. So, for my game, I'm going with that ending to where that has happened, so tales could easily have spread of, you know, pure drinking water flowing like crystal over on the East Coast. Okay, and that ends three. So wait, I'm yes. not going to let you get away that quick. <laughs> Fallout 1 was California, mm -hmm. Fallout 2 was Oregon, Fallout 3 is... Oh, Fallout 3 is the capital wasteland, so that's over in D.C. Alright. So, now you got to see a little bit of the East Coast over there. And then we actually go, oh, sorry, West Coast over, no, oh, East Coast over there. Now we're going back to the West Coast for Fallout New Vegas. New Vegas is one where you actually, you don't play a vault dweller. This one you play a courier, just kind of an unnamed courier. And you have the unfortunate job of uh, bringing a data disk. You don't, you didn't know it was that, but you had a courier job. 
turns out was way above your pay grade because you were accosted and it was stolen and you were left for dead. They shot you in the head. You were brought back from death, uh, you know, the brink of death, uh, by a very kind um, doctor, and you set out to figure out why that was taken, who took it, and to get revenge for, you know, who ever did it. Uh, through traveling around the New Vegas area, which, you know, is the was it Nevada area down there in Southern right. California, Southern California, you learn of the three main factions in the area, and the main story kind of revolves around the three factions all vying for power and control over the Hoover Dam, which would be a massive energy resource because they actually, um, the Nor- New California Republic got it up and running again. So they kind of had control right now, but there's other factions wanting to buy in. One of which is who actually hired you, you find out, for the data chip, which is Mr. House. So Mr. House is a man who was alive pre-war, put himself into a state of bodily sustained animation, but his mind was connected to a computer, which he used to control what was left of New Vegas. And he also has an army of robots. Now the data chip you find out that you stole, or you were you know, supposed to bring him would allow his robots to have a firmware update that would allow them to use the rocket launchers and lasers on that they already have attached. They have all these ordnance in them that they can't be used. So he wants control of the whole Vegas area. Then you have the New California Republic, which you went over a little bit there. And by this point, their territories are in Southern California. They have some in Oregon and in Nevada. They kind of have five large states. Um, within their area that they have uh, control over. And control is used loosely because it, being so you know, wide and not really a reliable form of communication, there is territorial control issues, loyalty issues, and corruption issues. And this causes actually kind of a negative view in a lot of wastelanders, whereas a lot of them NCR, you know, propagate good ideas and like, no, we're here to help you. They're usually seen, or they're often seen as imperialistic and poorly managed. There is, you know, a president and a VP and a Senate like Congress, and they're highly against slavery, gambling, drugs, prostitution, public drunkenness, everything that would be basically allowed in New Vegas. Um, except for slavery, I don't think that is in New Vegas, I don't think. Sorry, in New Vegas itself, it is definitely in the area around, and heavily so with the next faction, which is Caesar's Legion. So there is actually a large, large faction uh, that's an imperialistic totalitarian dictatorship modeled after ancient Rome, uh, which expands through Arizona, New Mexico, Utah, and Colorado, which started as a small tribe that ended up capturing a member of a cult who taught them like martial fighting ways and ended up leading this tribe as this Roman empire like entity into expanding, capturing other tribes, stripping them of their identities, and forcing them into either fighting or slaves. Um, and they have a pretty large slave trade as well, and they are highly against democracy as they see it as ineffective in fostering corruption. Uh, and the Legion believes that through this um, militaristic idea that they will be this humanistic Darwinian society um, that shrugs modern medicine and a lot of electronic tech is the best way to go forward in surviving as a stable society. 
The Fallout story ends at the Battle of Hoover Dam, where you have to decide who wins. For my story, I'm going with that the Courier has helped the NCR, the New California Republic, to win the Battle of Hoover Dam. The Caesar for that group was there and killed, and the Legion was pushed back from the region, and Mr. House also was killed, and the Courier now runs New Vegas. So he's down south doing his thing. And you didn't give us the year for Fallout oh, New Vegas. Did I not? So the year is 2281. So a few years after three. Um, okay. so four years after three. Alrighty. And then that brings us to Fallout 4, which is um, six years even later than that, in the year 2287, set in Boston, Massachusetts, Massachusetts, and we just call it the Commonwealth in that one. In this one, this one was neat because you actually got to play pre-war. So you got to kind of see a little cul-de-sac pre-war with your family. And then you hear the air raid sirens go off. The bombs begin falling and you have to rush with your wife and child to the vault that you're right by. So you rush there and you end up going in the vault just as you see a bomb hit, you know, several miles off. This vault was designed to test suspended animation through freezing. So you and your family get kind of tricked. They're like, you know, put on these suits, get in these, you know, tubes, these pods, and then we're gonna run some diagnostics and get you ready. And then they just freeze you. Okay. Uh, then an undetermined amount of time later, you are awoken. Uh, you're stuck in your pod, but you see the pod across from you, which holds your, whichever, whether you play the um, father or mother, the other one is in the opposite one, holding your child, Sean. Uh, they get your spouse gets killed, and your child gets abducted, and you get frozen again. Cut to you waking up again sometime later, as the um, vault begins to fail, and you're kicked out of animation, and you have to leave while this vault kind of is just malfunctioning. And you enter into the world. Now, you are an actual human. Not, you're not ghoulified. You are from pre-war in this place. And your mission is to figure out what happened to Sean. Because he was just taken from you and you need to go figure that out. Uh, through your travels, you, of course, just like the other ones, learn of some factions. Uh, the first person you kind of really befriend is Preston Garvey, who's the remnants of one of the protector groups of the Commonwealth, or was before they got disbanded, the Minutemen. They were a group, uh, kind of a mili uh, militia group that would help the Commonwealth people in there. And he kind of describes to you a time where, you know, there was trade in between settlements and this kind of like short, prosperous time that you can have. So you decide to help him in hopes that you'll also get helped learning about the, you know, the land, trying to find out who the heck stole your child. Through continuing to travel, you do help the Minutemen grow as a force once more, finding more settlements, linking them up, building them up. You learn who killed your your wife through a whole bunch of things, and you, but more specifically, you learn that your child was taken by an entity called the Institute. And you learn that the Institute's kind of a boogeyman in this area as they are seen as somebody who will come in and, you know, abduct you, abduct your family members, and replace you with synthetic organisms. There is rampant fear that anybody, you can know somebody for 20 years, and the next thing you know, they got sparks flying out of their head. They, you know, they were a synth, a synthetic human. So, and they, they've gotten to the point where they can 
upload memories make them seem just like the same person. So the people are scared of them. And you say, all right, well, I don't give two shits. I need to find my kid. So you go and you set off to find them. You figure out through working with some of the factions, which you are the Railroad, which is a group specifically for, they do do some anti-slavery work as well, you know, try and get rid of the raiders and stuff, but one of their main focus is releasing, releasing synths, because some synths actually come having, you know, expanded awareness. They actually have that um, awakened awareness. So they want to free all synths. They think, hey, these, these robots now have actual thoughts in their heads, so they, they're more than just robots. The other faction that's big in this area is the Brotherhood of Steel, which we kind of went over. Um, I mean, we didn't really go over them a lot. Just So they've made their way all the way from the West Coast over? Yes, they are spread out multiple chapters uh, around the U.S. They went from being about helping local survivors to realizing, oh no, the past technological advances and knowledge is going to be lost. We have to preserve this. So they are all about preserving ancient technology. Mind you, each faction has little bits of differences on what they want to do. They're a hyper military organization, but they also, because the start of the Brotherhood was where the super mutants came from. So they see mutated people and creatures as abominations. So they would see, so while ghouls can be, you know, feral or not feral, they see a ghoul and they think, you know, better to not take the chance. So they're, they're very much, you know, human centric, but non-feral ghouls are people too. Okay, and then also, of course, you have the Minutemen Minute aiding you as well, because by this point, when you find out about the Institute, you are actually the general of their organization uh, you find out that in order to get to the Institute you need teleportation technology that's how they actually get out of it they have developed a teleporter of a type which they can send synths and other people to and from they can attack anywhere at any time effectively which is why the Brotherhood really wants to take them out uh, not only because they are creating abominations of life being robots uh, but also because of their advanced technology, which they want for themselves also. So, working with these groups, you develop the teleportation technology, and you teleport into the Institute, whereby you meet the head of the Institute, who everyone calls Father, and he shows you, for a moment, Sean, who's now a boy that looks about the age of nine. However, when you go and you know speak to Sean, he doesn't recognize you. Of course, he was a baby, but also something's off. You find out that this Sean is a synth, and that father is Sean. He was taken 60 years ago. So after you were put back to sleep, 60 years went. He was taken by the Institute for his genetics, pre-war genetics, to be used in creating synthetic life. He was the reason they were able to create human-like synths. And he tells you that their objective, the Institute, is to replace humans with synths because humans are dying. Humans are not going to survive this, and the best way for humanity to go on is with these synthetic life forms. And so that's pretty heavy. You know, you're looking for uh, your son's, you know, killer and abductor, and here's your son now, older than, theoretically older than you are, sort of. And so you have a really big choice to make because it's at this point that you kind of have to look at who you sided with in the game and to what 
you should do because everybody has a different idea for my story ending um so a majority of this is in game how it would go the last little bit i added just for my own story but the soul survivor aligns themselves with the minutemen as the main faction as the commonwealth's main benefactor after setting up defending and creating trade routes the minutemen worked with the railroad in building the transporter to be able to get into the institute to lead an attack the institute is destroyed and you free the synths so you you take down the institute free the synths with the railroad ending the the scourge of the institute and also getting you some gains as well in that attack now with the institute destroyed that goes to the last remaining faction which is the brotherhood of steel now they aren't gonna be happy with the fact that synths are freed and running about rampantly so the minutemen combined with the railroad forces and the remaining synths because some of them were battle robots or androids send a warning to the brotherhood of steel to say hey you need to leave now the brotherhood of steel of course is not going to say oh yeah we'll just leave so they of course refuse and you use the teleporter technology to teleport onto the main stronghold that they have with the synths and the railroad and you take down the brotherhood to the point where they surrender and you exile them and this is where i kind of diverged also is i say that with the brotherhood of steel and the institute gone and the minutemen in control of the commonwealth the soul survivor informs the railroad that they have the choice to be absorbed into the minutemen no longer their own organization or they must leave the commonwealth you know uh, in my mind a radical group you know it's still a radical group even though if they did some good stuff most of them are going to join the only ones that wouldn't have had a choice is anybody who knew about the teleportation technology because that's now a severe tactical bonus to the Minutemen. So if any of the scientists wanted to leave, they would not have been able to. And then the sole survivor stays in the Commonwealth as the general of the Minutemen and looks over what he has accomplished and lost. He he was given the Sean synth um, his, by Sean, his child, uh, as well as a little hollow tape that told him, you know, like, you know, I didn't get to have a childhood with you. Hopefully, maybe you can have a childhood with this Sean. Uh, the sole survivor, and that that actually is in canon if you, you do, but uh, in mine, uh, he sees this and he basically deactivates Sean. It's too much for him. So he deactivates that synth because he can't, he just can't handle it. And looking out over the Commonwealth and all the destruction that he had to do in order to kind of bring the peace, he looks out at his, you know, little almost empire his you know his people and realizes that yeah um the seeing how the world is before the war and seeing it now he knows the fact that war more never changes and the cycle just continues and yeah that's basically going to bring us up to where we're at uh there is another game fallout 76 i i haven't played it i didn't delve much into it it also is farther back in the timeline so it's not going to have much bearing on what we're doing okay but that's essentially kind of bringing you up through the games and kind of telling you what my choices in some of the games were as well as what choices for the future of the game that we're running so without going into too much detail because we should probably do that at another time once we're a little closer to starting and yes. got everything hammered out 
timeline, how many years after the Great War will we be playing? So we'll be 213 years after the Great War. So we're going to play in the year 2290. So three okay. years after Fallout 4. Three years after Fallout 4. And I'll ask you one more. If you've seen the amazing video that Pedro did, we know we're playing in California. Yes. Up on the Lost Coast here in the general Humboldt County area. Yes. Do you envision that we're going to possibly get anywhere else? Will we potentially be seeing the environs of the Commonwealth or possibly the Hoover Dam or those type of things? Do you envision that that's possible in the game? Yeah, it kind of depends on how how far we go with it. Because the what I have planned for the first bit is mostly Humboldt County. I really want to just sure. kind of focus on Humboldt County for the first bit. And then depending on, because there is an over, I've, I have this overarching story in mind that I think is going to tie into a chunk of the games. I'm really trying to have everything kind of mesh. Perfect. Um, it very well could take you north, south, even over to the east coast, depending. It kind of depends um, on what we do. Depending on what you guys do and how Humboldt treats you. You survive. I get that. <laughs> All right. Well, is there anything else that you want to give us for the primer for Fallout? Uh, I am very excited about this game. I, I'm hoping and I am striving to bring the feeling of the video games into this game, not even just in the world, but also the way I use the mechanics. There are going to be some mechanics that I'm going to be not using to kind of give a more game feel to it or a video game feel to it. But I'm going to be focusing, you know, on trying to create and weave a very interesting location, trying to, you know, weave in what we have, you know, actually going on up in Humboldt here with the names and stuff and creating our own fun little things. For one, creating our own version of uh, Nuka-Cola. Very happy. Uh, New Kombucha. New Kombucha. New okay. Kombucha. Very, very yes. humble county with yep, that. Yep, yep. So, uh, you know, a nice irradiated probiotic fizzy drink for you. <laughs> Great for the gut. So, okay. uh, so yeah, so, you know, just, I'm just, my, my imagination is running wild. Like you said, I, I had a lot for an Avatar game. I picked this up and immediately was like, I, I got to focus on this. Okay. This is my focus. Well, so, so this, other than our version of Honey Heist, which is still running currently into technical difficulties... This is the first game you're going to be running for us for the podcast. Yeah, yeah. So Breaking I, away I'm excited to see that. We've got a we've got a good cast coming mm -hmm. for it. We're going to introduce somebody new as well to yes, the we table, at least one new person. Mm -hmm. So very exciting things to come up. Anything else we should cover tonight? No, I think you guys heard me talk for long enough. So there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> well, good. Well, Pedro, thank you for joining me again for another fireside yeah. chat. Thank you, Barry, and thank you everyone for listening. All right, have a good evening. Have a good evening, all. Thank you for listening to another NCRP Productions podcast. To stay on top of everything we're doing, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and like us on Facebook, all at NCRP Productions. You can show your support and help us continue to produce content by joining our Patreon. We offer additional podcasts like our B-Sides and have GM materials, maps, and other fun things you can discover over time. You can find our podcasts on YouTube, Anchor, Spotify, Apple, Google, 
and many other fine podcast sites. Just look for us at NCRP Productions. We value your thoughts, so please don't hesitate to leave us feedback or comments. And if you would like to contact us directly, you can email us at ncrpproductions at gmail.com.